Welcome back to the Year of Freedom on the Success Road Podcast. My name is Joshua Rivers, your host, and I'm excited to be able to continue our journey into what success is and the fact that success is a journey. It's not a destination that we reach as a ultimate goal. It is something that we continue to reach for each and every day. And in this episode, we are going to continue and conclude from last week, the audio version of the ebook I wrote, which is Leave Nothing Undone, 13 Key Lessons from the Life of Joshua. And so last week, we ended up having the first seven chapters, well, the introduction and the first seven chapters of the book. And then in this episode... We're going to be going through and we're going to be finishing the book, the last six chapters, and then a short conclusion to be able to wrap it up. And so if you did not listen to the last one, I would recommend going back and listen to that first and then coming back here and being able to finish it up. And so because of the length of the entire thing, I split it up. That is the purpose for it. Otherwise, it would have been more like an hour and a half, four, hour 45 minutes, something like that for the entirety. And I didn't want to do that on one podcast episode. But we're going to go ahead and we're going to jump right into it. And we're going to continue now as we get into chapter number eight. Chapter eight, prayer. Joshua's life was centered in prayer. However, there were a couple times he forgot to pray and asked for God's guidance. One time can be found in Joshua chapter 8. He and the children of Israel experienced an incredible victory over Jericho, one of the largest cities in Canaan. They had relied on and followed God's plan. They, however, became lifted up with pride. They came to the next town, Ai. It was just a little town. So they boasted that they didn't need to send the whole army because it would be overkill. They sent a couple thousand because they thought that it would be more than enough. They lost. Why? Joshua never prayed and consulted God. If he would have, God would have revealed that Achan had sinned. And as a result, God was not going to bless the Israelites in battle until it was taken care of. After the loss... Joshua did finally consult God, and the problem was resolved. Another example of a great prayer warrior is George Mueller. He was a German preacher that had moved to England, where he eventually became the pastor of a small church. He also started and ran several large orphanages. There were millions of dollars, today's value, that went through his hands to build the buildings, pay for the workers, get food and clothing, provide education for the children, and many other needs. All this was done through prayer. Not just a facetious, I prayed once and then send it, request via mass mail. He earnestly prayed and pleaded with God for the needs. He spent hours upon hours praying for each thing. Oh, and he never asked anyone beside God for anything. Just a coincidence, you say? Not at all. As he was getting the first home ready... He prayed for everything. Of course, he was working on getting things ready, too. From the workers, to the beds, to the food. On opening day, he waited eagerly for the children to show up. But no one did. Not one 
single child. Then it struck him. He prayed so fervently for everything except for God to provide the children. He immediately began to pray all night. The next day, the children began to flood in. Remember, he didn't ask anyone, and he didn't advertise either. God has given us the gift of prayer. Yes, it is a gift. We as sinners do not deserve the privilege to come before a holy and righteous God. Yet because of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, he tore the veil that separated us from God. We are now able to come to God himself with our petitions. Scripture is full of his promises regarding prayer. John 14:13 says, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. In James chapter 4, verse 2, says, Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. So prayer again is not a public event. It's a private meeting with God. We can see this in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6, where it says, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. This is not to say that public prayer is bad. There's a place for that. But the temptation to put on a show while praying is greater when you do it publicly. When you pray in private, you are more intimate and sincere with God. This is what God is looking for. We need to develop a regular, daily habit of prayer. We look at the example earlier of Daniel. He had the habit of praying three times a day throughout Jerusalem. Our ultimate example, though, is in Jesus Christ himself. If Jesus, who himself was God in the flesh, took the time to pray, and to pray earnestly... He even says in one spot that he sweat drops of blood in the garden. How much greater is the need that we have to pray? Constantly throughout the four Gospels, Jesus is seen praying. Matthew chapter 14 verse 23 says, And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. We also see it in Mark chapter 1 verse 35 And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. Then also in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, it says, And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. Prayer is both for defense and for offense. Prayer is listed in Ephesians 6 among the armor of God. In verse 17, Paul talks about the word of God being the sword of the spirit, but the verse ends with a colon, not a period. The thought continues into the next verse that says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So we see that prayer is certainly a vital key that we need. Chapter 9, Patience. Joshua exercised and exemplified patience. When he went into Canaan with the other eleven spies, he was forty. Only he, Caleb, and Moses saw the need for going into the promised land right away. The other Israelites were paralyzed by fear because of the negative report that ten of the spies gave. 
Joshua had to wait 40 years before he can get back into the promised land. Remember back when you were a kid and your brother broke something? Your parents brought you all in for interrogation, but no one confessed. Everyone blamed everyone else. What happened? You all were grounded for 20 years and no chance of parole. That's what happened to Joshua. Sure, Joshua was frustrated and begged and pleaded with the Israelites to change their mind. But after their mind was made up, God brought the judgment that the entire generation would have to pass away before they can go in. The Bible doesn't record any time when Joshua murmured or complained. He waited patiently, doing what he could to continue serving. I used to think that I was a pretty patient person. (laughs) That was before kids. Don't get me wrong. I love my kids and think they're great. But since they were born, I misplaced my patience and haven't been able to find it. My wife and her siblings tell stories about how they grew up. One story took place when they were visiting their grandparents' farm. The boys were playing around on a tractor and broke something. Their dad was furious about their carelessness, and I probably would be too. Grandpa, however, had a different reaction. He simply shrugged his shoulders and said, boys will be boys. What made the difference in their reactions? After all, the tractor belonged to Grandpa. If anyone had the right to be most upset, it was him. The difference was in their patience. Dad was still learning and maturing at his child rearing. With that, his patience was still in the operating room, waiting for a transplant. Grandpa had already raised his children. He had worked on the farm his entire life and doing all the things beyond his control. His patients had the opportunity to have the successful operation and to be safely returned to his care. So what about dad today? Today, he's the new grandpa, or beepaw to my kids. There have been times that his grandchildren did something worthy of wrath, but he learned to say, boys will be boys, just like his father-in-law. His children, knowing the punishment when they grew up with such trespasses, point out the difference in the reaction then and now. So, what is patience? Well, Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines patience as the suffering of afflictions, pain, toil, calamity, provocation, or other evil with a calm, unruffled temper, enduring without murmuring or complaining. It also means a calm temper which bears evil without murmuring or discontent. In light of this definition, I think that most of us can rule out our patience as a virtue that is a part of our lives. We may endure the difficult and trying times, but do we do it without murmuring and discontent? Do we remain calm and unruffled? The invention of the car horn tells otherwise. The book of Romans chapter 5 speaks about patience and how we're able to build it into our lives. If you're familiar with this passage, you already know that you don't like the process. It says that patience comes from tribulations. We cannot build patience by avoiding problems and difficult situations. We must go through them. And we must go through them while not complaining. James chapter 1 verse 4 says, But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. God is trying to build our patience. We have to learn to let him. He wants us to be perfect. Not perfection, but that means mature and complete. 
As we grow in our patience, we will also grow in our contentment and peace. It will decrease our greed and selfish desires. Chapter 10, Perception. Perception not only refers to having vision for your life, but it also refers to how you see yourself. What is your perception of yourself? Joshua experienced this when he was chosen to be a spy. We already referred to the fact that he and Caleb were the only two that brought a good report about the promised land. The others had a negative report. The others had a very poor perception. Numbers 13 Verse 33 says, We were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. They were comparing themselves to the giants in the land. They brought down their own self-worth because of this. They made an assumption of what the giants thought of them. They allowed what they thought someone else was thinking affect how they saw themselves. We are generally visual people. That's where there are billions of dollars spent on the visual aspect of advertising, whether it's video or print ads. The detail, the colors, the angles, the dozen of other aspects are put under scrutiny so that the ads are the most effective that they could possibly be. Not only are we visual with our eyes, but also with our minds. We think in pictures. When we remember something, we see the person or object. It plays back in our minds like a movie. Having a vision in life is necessary for us to move forward. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Without vision, you will perish. Maybe not physically die, but you'll stop growing. You'll stop progressing. You'll merely go through life without any real direction. I had better than 20-20 vision growing up. When I was 26, I started to realize it was getting a little more difficult to read things in the distance, such as street signs. I finally went to get my eyes checked, and it was confirmed that I did have some loss of vision. It took a bit to get used to the glasses, but I started to see things much more clearly. I only needed a small prescription, but it made a huge difference. I started to realize that the things I had been missing, not missing entirely, but missing the details. It was like the difference between watching TV using rabbit ears and HDTV. My headaches and eye strains started to go away too. Oddly enough, I didn't even connect the headaches to my eyes. When we lose our vision in life, the details of life become blurry. There is extra strain in our life, and there are complications that we don't even connect. Stress levels begin to increase, and we become frustrated. This is where many people find themselves. They are stressed and frustrated because things aren't working out in their life. Things happen that don't seem to make sense, but they don't realize that they have lost their vision. If you find yourself in this position, take some time to refocus and get your vision back. What is your purpose? How are you going to work at fulfilling that purpose? What goals do you have in life, both short-term and long-term goals? What action steps do you need to take to reach those goals? I have had to do this several times. I will come to a place in my life that I've lost my vision and I would have to take some time to get things clarified. In 2010, my wife and I were in search of a new church. 
In fact, we were in search of whatever was going to come next in life. I had been the youth pastor at a church, and a dispute over doctrine arose between me and the pastor. We tried to work it out for a while, but my wife and I finally had to leave. Not only was it my employer, but the church also furnished our house. The church was nice enough to let us stay for a couple months until we found where we were going next. Financially, we were okay because my wife still had her job. This situation came less than two years after we weathered a difficult situation in another church. It was definitely time for us to refocus. We found another church nearby, but after much prayer and counsel, we moved to Oklahoma to be by her family. I was also able to get a job at a company I worked at before, but in a different location. The pastor helped us to encourage us to take some time to step back and get things in order. I started going to school, learning web design and development. I was also helping a bit in a couple of the church ministries. I was careful not to do too much at first so I could make sure I was focused and on the right direction. Just like the Israelites around Joshua, we have the tendency to worry too much about what others think. We let them dictate how we see ourselves. We should rather worry about what God thinks and what His plans are for us. Joshua didn't worry about what the others thought or feared. He wasn't oblivious to the size and strength difference between them and the giants. He just didn't let it affect what God called and commanded them to do. He realized that God was still bigger than the giants and he would provide a way even when it seemed to be impossible. Joshua, of course, spent plenty of time praising God for the many things that God had done for them. He had seen many great miracles performed by the hand of God. He had also seen judgment and difficult times. He learned to give thanks and praise to God. Several years ago, Sherwood Films put out a movie called Facing the Giants. It was about a coach at a Christian school that was struggling to have a winning season with his football team. The parents were working to get rid of him as a coach because of his poor results as coach. He was also struggling with a car that kept breaking down, a house that was falling apart, and the inability to have children. Note, if you haven't seen this movie yet, then I apologize for the spoilers. Facing all of these giants, he finally turns to God and the Bible for answers. Spending countless hours praying and studying, he came up with a new team philosophy addressing the question, why are we here? This applies in the broad sense of life, but he was directing it at his team. Are we just here to play football and win games? His conclusion, that's not enough. He concluded that they needed to do everything for God. They studied for him, they practiced for him, they play for him, and they'll praise him. The quote from the movie says, We'll praise him if we win, we'll praise him if we lose. Either way, we praise him. God began to bless them. The team began to win games. God brought them from a losing season, allowing them to make the playoffs. When they worked through the playoffs and made it to the championship game against the Giants. Students began to receive Christ as their Savior. They began getting things right between them and God and between them and others. The coach was blessed with a new truck and he began to make progress at home and he was finally able to become a father. Philippians 4 and verse 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, 
by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. No, simply giving God praise isn't a magical thing. It's not a lucky rabbit's foot that you can just pull out and rub. It's more than just saying the words to praise God. Praise is an attitude. Back in the movie, they didn't just say idle words of praise and then turn around and suck on a sour pickle. They changed their entire attitude. They changed their outlook. They made a direction that they were going to keep pushing forward even if the things didn't turn out how they expected. Praise is an action. They began to do things differently. They became intentional about their practicing. They started to take their life seriously. Their change in attitude showed on the outside. Encourage others with praise. This is a twofold point. First, when we praise God and we have an attitude and actions to match it, others start to get encouraged. It becomes contagious and they start praising God and changing their attitude about life. Also, we need to work on giving praise to others for the work they do. We need to encourage them to keep going on, even when things get tough. Back in the movie, the coach took one of the leading players, one with great influence over the others, and had him do an exercise that was difficult. Normally, they had to do something called a death crawl, and they would crawl about 10 yards with someone on their back. This challenge was to go 50 yards, blindfolded. Through encouragement, although it was a tough love, the boy not only made it to the 50-yard line, he made it to the other end zone. The praise and encouragement helped the boy through a difficult task and allowed him to see more of his potential, and he learned to push himself a little bit more. It also became an encouragement and motivation for the rest of the team. Giving someone praise doesn't have to be for something big. In fact, praising the little things can go much farther than praising the big things. One time, I was able to witness a boy returning a lost wallet at a gas station. He had just found it lying on the ground. He could have easily just taken it and left. But he took the honest route to walk back to the store and turn it in. A simple thank you would probably have been the normal response. But John, as we'll call him, wasn't normal. John saw this took place and immediately made a big deal about it. He told the boy how great it was of what he did. He praised him a little more and then offered to buy him a snack or drink. The boy was resistant at first, but finally took the offer. Some more praise followed. I was able to catch John in his vehicle and told him that I thought it was great what he did for the boy. I also ran into John a week or so later, talking with him again about the incident. He said that he liked to live with this philosophy. If I can make one person smile every day, it is a good day. I don't know if I or John will ever see that boy again. It may have been the only time that our paths crossed, but who knows what kind of impact that little bit of praise had on that young man. Chapter 12, Present. Stop if tripping. That's what my mom would tell me when I was growing up. An if trip was when you would start a sentence, what if, and then went on about some hypothetical situation. I did this a lot growing up. I remember daydreaming constantly. I would think about things that could be, what might be, what might not be. 
I would create scenarios and play through them in my head. I would constantly be stuck in the future. Usually, these dreams would never come true. I'm still holding on to the one about me becoming a ninja super spy, though. There's nothing wrong with a little daydreaming, unless you ignore the present like I did. I would get easily distracted by my own thoughts, and I would take a trip into the future. I would miss the events that were going on around me. I wouldn't interact with other people. Whereas you know not what should be on the morrow. This is a true shared in James chapter 4 verse 14. In the context, James is warning the people to be careful about bragging about what they're going to do in the future because they don't know what's going to happen. We need to learn to stay out of the future. Besides, we should take a lesson from Martin McFly about the dangers of messing with time travel. As much as we should avoid going to the future, we shouldn't dwell in the past either. How many times have we sat around and just talked about what happened years ago? How many hours have we spent telling those stories many different times? I've been guilty of telling a story about something that happened when I grew up or at a place I worked only to have my wife remind me that I already told her that story many times. The danger of the past is not doing a little reminiscing and storytelling. The danger is when we use those stories to dictate our present and future. Joshua didn't allow his past experience to stop him from doing what he knew he should be doing. Joshua chapter 24 verse 15 says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served which are on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Many people look at the things that they failed at and use those as excuses why they can't do something else. They beat themselves up over those things, and sometimes they're over little things. I once did an oil change that cost me thousands of dollars. No, a mechanic didn't overcharge me to do the oil change. I had done dozens of oil changes before with little difficulty. So that one time in 2006 didn't seem to be any different. But I made a big mistake in overlooking a small detail, a gasket. If you've never changed an oil filter, there's a little rubber gasket around the edge of the filter to make a good seal. That time, the old gasket didn't come off when I took the filter off. I put the new one on and didn't realize that there were two gaskets. And no, it's not logical to assume that twice as many gaskets will make it seal twice as well. My wife took the car to the college that she was attending. After she was done, she noticed some oil under the car and called me. She was concerned, but I told her not to worry because there was probably just some oil that I spilt. She got in and drove a couple blocks and the car was making some noise, so she stopped and called again. I went to where she was and checked everything. I still didn't notice the double gasket and thought everything was fine. I did notice that the oil level was low and added some more. I went to use the car the next day to go to church. The car died about halfway there. I was able to get it towed. My pastor at the time had a truck and a rope. I later found the second gasket. I think it was a week or two later that we realized the engine was shot and we'd have to get a new car or do some major work. I told my wife that I would never make that mistake again. She agreed because she wasn't going to let me do it anymore. The moral of the story, don't let a computer guy do mechanical work. Well, this is a joke that I have at my factory job. Well, not necessarily. It did take a couple years before I did any more work on a car but I learned to be more careful. 
My wife and I both let that past incident set the future for us. There are, however, times that rehearsing the past is necessary. We need to take enough time to reflect on the past so we can learn from it. I use it after several years as a learning experience to be more careful. It is also wise to spend some time planning and setting goals for the future. We need to learn to set a direction for us ahead. We need to get goals so that we can create a step-by-step plan. Chapter 13, Perseverance. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13 says, But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. When it comes down to leaving nothing undone, you must have perseverance. Yes, you need to prioritize. Yes, you need to have patience. Yes, you need all the other things that we've covered. But none of it matters if you quit. There's an unknown quote that says many of the great achievements of the world were accomplished by tired and discouraged men who kept on working. There's also a quote from Babe Ruth that said, It's hard to beat the person who never gives up. Joshua knew exactly what he was supposed to do. He had watched God work through Moses. He had seen the hand of God move through the children of Israel. And he witnessed the miracles God performed on their behalf. He familiarized himself with the commandments that God had given. Now, he had to keep going. He had to follow through on what he already knew. He had to persevere. The children of Israel faced giants as they worked their way through Canaan. They faced walled cities that were thought to be impregnable. Their army was outnumbered and outskilled compared to the seasoned troops of Canaan. They didn't have the best tempered weapons and armor either. With Joshua's leadership, they persevered. They conquered. Ultimately, there have been countless times that I have given up. It wasn't usually because I had a lack of knowledge or direction. It was usually just because it got a little harder and I didn't want to deal with it. We've already talked about patience, but patience is a key element if we're going to persevere. Romans chapter 5 verses 3 through 5 gives us a five-step progression. From tribulations, to patience, to experience, to hope, to not ashamed. I'm just over six feet tall and have a decent stride when I walk. When I go up and down stairs or a ladder, I tend to skip steps to save a little more time. This has backfired several times and I tripped. My first reaction, of course, is to look around and make sure no one else saw me. Then I get back up and comply with the stairs request to step on each one. If we're going to not be ashamed, if we're going to reach success, we have to go through the rest of the steps. We don't get the skip steps. Step number one is always the one we like to avoid. We don't like tribulations. We don't like trials. We don't like problems. We try to do everything we can to minimize any negatives. This isn't always a bad thing. In fact, it can be wise to look ahead for potential pitfalls. We do, however, need to realize that there will still be difficulties. If we go through the tribulations with patience, it will grow our experience. We will start to learn that God really can help us get us through. When we then cycle back to number one, that experience can help us get through the tribulation with patience again. This pattern slowly starts to build hope. 
As we build hope, we get to the point that we aren't ashamed of God. We'll give him credit that he deserves instead of trying to take it for ourselves. This whole process takes perseverance. It is accumulation of all the steps. Perseverance takes patience to a new level. It gives you momentum as you go through life. One of my most favorite passages in the Bible is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And that says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which has also easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I am not a runner, but I have some friends that are, and I'm more of the sideline person that passes out the water bottles. I know that if you want to run your best, you want to run light. You don't want to have anything that will weigh you down. That's what this verse means when it's applied to your life. There are many things that we hold on to in life that hold on us. They slow us down. They wear us down. We need to learn to put these aside so that we can run with patience the race that is set before us. With this admonishment, God also gives us the great example of persistence and endurance, Jesus Christ. It says he endured the cross for us. He despised the shame. In other words, don't worry about what others thought. The result, he is now sitting at the right hand of God the Father. His persistence paid off. George E. Allen says, People of mediocre abilities sometimes achieve outstanding success because they don't know when to quit. Most men succeed because they are determined to. This quote simply states that it's not an exceptional amount of skill that propels someone to success, at least not most of the time. And those that do have exceptional skill have to work and develop and fine-tune that skill. Michael Phelps is a world-class swimmer. His success is not an accident. He didn't just wake up in the morning of the Olympics, decide to swim, jump in the water, and then climb out to grab a gold medal. He put tons of training in, all day, every day. He put so much work in the training, he would eat 12,000 calories a day just to maintain his weight. In case you're not familiar with caloric intake, the daily recommended amount for the average person is 2,000 calories. So Michael had to eat enough food for six people to compensate for his intense training. You will need to persevere if you're going to have success as well. Conclusion. Joshua's life has so many lessons that we can learn from. Let's just summarize kind of what we've talked about. Number one, Joshua set a great example for us of someone that put God first and establishes our priorities in life. Number two, we see he had and followed the purpose God had for him. Number three, he took personal responsibility for his actions. Number four, he established and lived by unchanging principles. Number five, he worked hard to prepare for the work ahead. Number six, he didn't understand the future, but he reached for his potential. Number seven, he held to the word of God in high regard. 
Number eight, he spent a lot of quality time speaking with God in prayer. Number nine, even though it was difficult, he exercised patience throughout his life. Number 10, he was able to get a vision and plan as well as see things in the right light. Number 11, he gave God the praise for the victories that were won. Number 12, he focused on what can and should be done now. The number 13, he kept on going even when it looked hopeless. Well, if you enjoyed that, I definitely would encourage you to go to joshuarivers.net and you can be able to download the PDF version of this ebook absolutely free by entering your email and that'll be sent right to you. Or you can get the Kindle version. You can go to joshuarivers.net slash undone and you can be able to get that there. And so that'll be an easy way for you to be able to find that on Amazon to be able to get that Kindle version. And so definitely would love to be able to get your feedback on this as well. And so I've received some good feedback before and I would like to be able to get some more feedback and see if there's any changes or additions or anything like that any kind of updates that I can be able to do to make it better and then possibly launch that off again. And so let me know. And so you can go to joshuarivers.net and be able to leave me that feedback there. And also I would uh, really appreciate it if you could help spread the word of this and share this with your friends, your family on social media, whatever way is convenient for you. And so I would really greatly appreciate that. Now we're gonna go ahead and sign off and I will talk to you next week. Thank you and God bless.